0: The last uh, conference that I came over to speak to, a dear lady met me out in the hallway and she said, I'm glad to see you. I heard you last year. She said, I like the way you stand up there sober-faced and just tell it like it is. I'm sure she intended that as a compliment and I took it as such. But I want to assure you that I'm not sober down on the inside. I was just built that way. (laughs) The Lord gave me a long face to begin with, and it's been getting longer ever since. Our topic this morning is the quiet time. And in order to begin this topic, we need to, first of all, Answer the question, what is a quiet time? Now, this may seem very elementary, but we can't take anything for granted. I recall a number of years ago, there was a dear girl that came to live in the home of one of our NAV reps. And so the first morning or so after she was there, after they had done the breakfast dishes, the, the NAV wife in the home said, why don't you go upstairs and have a quiet time? And so she went up and uh, she proceeded to write some letters. Because, you see, the term quiet time just simply didn't communicate anything to her. She just thought it was a time when all the house was quiet and you do what you please. Our point is not to smile at this young girl who has since then become a dear woman of God, but it's to emphasize the fact that we can't take anything for granted when we talk about this subject of quiet time. And in order to answer our question, what is a quiet time, and what is the purpose of a quiet time, I'd like to direct our attention to Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Exodus chapter 33. The passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is not intended as an illustration of a quiet time, but there are a number of phrases in this particular passage that help us answer the question, what is a quiet time? And then the second question that we want to answer, what is the purpose of a quiet time? Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse 7. Now Moses used to take the 10. By the way, I'm reading from the revised, and so whatever translation you happen to have, you just follow along in your particular one. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose up, and every man stood at his tent door and looked after Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the door of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the door of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship every man at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tent. Then the next few verses, it gives us an insight into a particular meeting. What we've been reading here is background. And then this is a particular time when Moses was at the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, thou sayest to me, bring up this people. But thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, show me now thy ways, that I may know thee, and find favor in thy sight. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If thy presence will not go with me, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not in thy going with us, so that we are distinct, I and thy people, from all other people that are upon the face of the earth? Now, as I mentioned we find in this particular passage, which gives an incident in the, in the history of the nation of Israel just after they, Moses had been up on the mountain and they had made the golden calf and had worshipped it, some interesting insight into the relationship between God and man that will help us to understand what a quiet time is and what its purpose is. And First of all, I want to direct your attention to verse 7 where it says that Moses called the tent a tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. A quiet time is, first of all, a time of meeting between you and God. Now, you do not have to go to a particular place. This was their custom in that particular time because the glory of God and the presence of God was uniquely present there in the and the tent, but it's a time of meeting between God and man. Now, we usually think of two elements that comprise a quiet time. We think of a time in the Word, in the Bible, and we think of a time of prayer. But these are the elements. But a quiet time is essentially a time of meeting, a time of fellowship between you and God. Now, there are many styles, there are many variations, there are many approaches, and perhaps you'll be discussing some of these in your discussion group on the quiet time. But when you boil it all down, a quiet time is to be a time of fellowship between you and God. Now, the other thing here that we notice, in verse 11, it says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And to me, this is one of the most marvelous passages in the whole Bible. That the eternal God, who created all the the universe and everything that is within it and sustains it by the power of His great might, would condescend to come down, as it were, and speak to a man face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And yet, it says here that this was the case between God and Moses. And this can be the case between you and God in a quiet time. And this is what a quiet time is. It is a time of meeting. It is a time when you speak to God and a time when he speaks to you and it's on a friend basis. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, henceforth, I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his master doeth. But I have called you friends for all that I do, I have made known unto you. Jesus calls us his friends. And in fact, it, it goes even deeper than that. We have a relationship with God as children of God. We are members of his family. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And all of these phrases have the connotation of an intimate relationship with God. We have a little boy, a little four-year-old boy in our family, and he's very much a daddy's boy, and I'm kind of happy about this. And, you know, I decided I'm just going to enjoy it while I can, well realizing that the day will probably come when uh, it will not be that way. I hope it doesn't. But uh, every morning, after he gets dressed, he wants me to come in and pick him up and carry him downstairs to breakfast. And, you know, I don't know, uh, he's plenty able to, he can get down those stairs a lot faster than I can, <laughs> and back up again, as far as that goes. But there, there is an intimate fellowship that is based on a relationship. He is my son. I am his father. And he enjoys that time, and so does dad. You know, just that brief, a few seconds, walk down to the breakfast table, and then well, I know this morning, you know, as, as I picked him up, he hugged me around the neck. And when we got down to the table, he didn't let go. And so we just stood there for a minute or two. And we just enjoyed each other's company. Not saying anything. But I just had his little cheek up against mine. Well, we were having fellowship. We weren't saying anything to each other we were enjoying each other's presence. And this is an essential element of a quiet time, is to enjoy the presence of God and He enjoys yours. Now, He enjoys your presence. And we have the privilege of enjoying His. But notice that God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. Now, it's true that there is that communication. And this is where the word and prayer do come in. Uh, God speaking to us through His word. The The only way that God has chosen to speak to us is through His word. The Spirit of God taking His word and making it, as it were, come alive. And when you go down and and you have your quiet time and you read a passage, it is not how much territory you've covered, it's not how many verses you have gone over in your memory, or how many chapters you've read in your Bible reading, but it's whether or not God has spoken to you that measures the efficiency, as it were, of that quiet time, whether or not anything has been accomplished. Let me just direct your attention to a couple of passages that David had to say about the Word of God. First of all, in Psalm nineteen in Psalm the nineteenth chapter, verse ten, speaking of the ordinances of God or the Word of God He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This is the value that David placed upon the word of God. But notice here that it's not just a materialistic value as it were. He says it's not only more valuable than gold, but he says it's also sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. David was reaching for the figure of speech that would denote the most pleasant taste that he could think of. And at that time, it would have been the honey coming from the honeycomb. And he says, O Lord, your word is sweeter to me than the drippings of the honey from the honeycomb, and more to be desired than gold. Turn with me to Psalm 119. That was Psalm 19, and this one is 119. And verse 14. Psalm 119, verse 14, In the way of thy testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now again, I don't want to put the stress on the riches, other than to just say we need to stop and realize how rich we are when we have the Word of God. But the word that I want to draw your attention to is this word, delight. He says here, in the way of thy testimonies, I delight, I enjoy your word. And this is to be our experience as we have a quiet time, as we meet with God, as a man speaks to to God and God to man, as friend to friend, our experience is to be that the word of God becomes a delight to us. I would trust that as we meet with the Lord day by day, that uh, to use Skip Gray's expression, we get blessed right down to our toes. This should be the kind of a fellowship, the kind of a communion that we have with God. And this is what a quiet time is. It is more than just a time of reading a chapter from the Bible and going through a prayer list. It is a time of fellowship with God the almighty God who created heaven and earth and who redeemed us to himself and whose children we are. Now, we've talked about the word of God that it should be a blessing to us. As God speaks to us day by day from his word, it should thrill our souls. But, a quiet time is also a time when we speak to God. This is the other side of the coin, so to speak, the prayer side. Now, a quiet time should not be a time when you come down and you read your chapter and then you pray. You don't talk to people like this. You know, when you, when you have a conversation with someone, that person doesn't say everything he has to say, and then you in return say everything you have to say, but rather there is an interchange. This is what conversation is. You react to one another. And just so, in a quiet time, as you read the Word of God, react with God in this. Or do you read a verse and you see something there, stop right then and talk to God about it. If it's a blessing, just tell the Lord how thrilled you are and stop and thank Him for this. If God has put His finger on some sin in your life, stop right then and say, Lord, you found me out. Here it is. I confess it. Help me to put it away. Whatever it is that you see in the Scripture, stop right then and talk to God. And so I find that my prayer time is a kind of a, my quiet time is a kind of a back and forth type of a situation and then there are things that we specifically have to bring before the lord in prayer and we notice that moses was doing this back in in exodus chapter 33 now beginning in verse 12 here Moses had some serious business to discuss with the Lord. But I want you to notice here that even this is a conversation. Moses said to the Lord, See, thou says to me, bring up this people, but thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moses was concerned that God was going to, as it were, uh, remove his personal presence, his Shekinah glory, from the children of Israel and was just going to send them to the promised land led by an angel or something like this. Moses was deeply concerned about this and he said, No, Lord. In effect, he's saying, this just isn't going to work. And you notice here that he and God kind of went back and forth. They had a conversation. And so... I would suggest that even in your prayer time as you pray, that you give God an opportunity to speak back to you, bringing to your mind uh, thoughts from the Scripture, maybe that which you've just read, or maybe from some verse that you've memorized in the past. This morning, uh, I went to work and, and just... You know, Monday morning, 8 o'clock, I was hit smack dab in the face with a problem. And some of you men smile knowingly. Uh, It seems like these things have a way of developing over the weekend. And uh, it, it kind of bothered me. And I might as well be honest with you. And so I went to the Lord about it. And as I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know, I just, I know I'm bothered about this and I know I shouldn't be. And so the Lord began to bring to my mind passages of Scripture that helped to stabilize my thinking and my emotions in this particular situation. And so you see, there is a give and take. And so a quiet time is a time of meeting with God as friend to friend. This is what a quiet time is above everything else. It may be a time of reading the Word or studying or reviewing your memory verses. It may be a time of going over a prayer list. But it is first and foremost, underlying all of these activities, is a time of meeting with God as friend to friend. This is what a quiet time is. Now, the purpose of a quiet time. In verse 13, Moses says to God, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, show me now thy ways, that I may know thee and find favor in thy sight. Consider too that this nation is thy people. I see in this these remarks of Moses, two essential purposes of a quiet time. The first is to know God. We come to know a person by spending time with that person. The word fellowship, I looked it up the other day in Webster, and it says fellowship, first of all, it speaks of people who are involved in the same thing, They're on the same wavelength, so to speak. This is the basis of fellowship. But then it said fellowship is personal, intimate conversation. Personal, intimate conversation. Now, I dare say that no one knows you like your spouse. If you're a man, no one knows you like your wife. If you're a wife, no one knows you like your husband. And sometimes I'm absolutely shocked to find myself bearing my heart to my wife the way that it, that I do. You know, I can't believe that I would just open the inner recesses of my heart like this and let some other human being know what's down inside. My fears, my frustrations, uh, my joys, and all of these things. But I find myself doing this. Why? Because we have... This personal, intimate contact. We have fellowship one with another. But you know, I believe really that my fellowship with God is even deeper. Because I'm sure that there are things that I discuss with God that I have not yet discussed with my wife. Why? Because God knows me. And I want to know Him. And I want to be completely open with Him. And this verb here, where Moses says, show me now thy ways that I may know thee, as I understand in the Hebrew... It means to know intimately, to enter into a close relationship, to come to understand this other person. And to know God means that we come to understand God, we come to know His ways. I mean, we understand Him, and I use that in a qualified sense, because there is a sense in which God is incomprehensible, He's infinite, and we can never fully understand Him. But it's sort of like Paul said, to know the love of God which passes knowledge. We can come to understand the God who cannot be understood. But we come to know His ways. We come to know His actions. We come to see the way that He does things. We begin to understand His purposes. We begin to see things as God sees them. We begin to have His sense of values as we come to know God. The navigators have a motto. It's to know Christ and to make Him known. And I recall, as a young naval officer in the Navy, a Christian, but struggling to live a Christian life and not having very much success at it, coming into contact with a group of young men who had a vitality, and, and just a life. And as I watched these men and, and as I was around them, I realized that my concept of Jesus Christ was someone who was way up in heaven someplace. He was my Savior. He'd come down to earth and now he'd gone back. He was my Savior, but that was about it. But for these men, Jesus Christ was obviously their friend. They had contact. They had communication. They had fellowship with him. And this is the thing that attracted me to this group of young men. The fact that they really did know Jesus Christ. And this is the purpose of a quiet time that we might really come to know Jesus Christ. The second purpose we see in this Statement here in verse 13 where Moses says, Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. Moses was the servant of God. He was the man that to whom God had given the responsibility to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. But Moses wasn't the, you know, uh, Truman had that uh, expression, the buck stops here. You know, he was the the last one when a difficult question would come up, you know, and it was passed right on up the line. Well, he didn't have anyone else to pass it to. Well, Moses was no Truman. (laughs) He had someone else to pass it to. Now, most of us uh, are in a situation where we have someone in a position of authority or leadership over us. It's just about regardless of how high you go up in, in the hierarchy of, of a firm or a corporation or an organization or something, there's still someone else that's above you. And for Lauren Sandy and the Navigators, it's the Board of Directors. Well, Moses had someone above him. And the wonderful thing about having someone above you is not that they exercise authority over you, but that they are there to help you. Sanny has always said, he said, I like to turn the organizational chart upside down and picture myself on the bottom helping all the other staff do their job instead of this picture being on top, you know, kind of pressing down. We need that person who is in authority over us. And Moses needed God. You see, he was the agent of God. He had some business to discuss with God because he was in God's business. And so he says, Now, Lord, consider the fact that these people are your people. Whatever happens to them ultimately comes back on you. It reflects on your glory. It reflects on your power. Back in the 32nd chapter, when um, he was praying before, and these people were really in trouble and it's taking several chapters to get them out of it. But in the 32nd chapter, here beginning with verse 11, uh, he's reminding God that if God just destroys His people, that then all the heathen nations are going to say, well, he destroyed them because he couldn't bring them into Jordan. And Moses is in effect saying, now, Lord, remember, these people are your people. What happens to them reflects on your glory one way or the other. He was talking to God about God's business. And this is the other purpose of our quiet time when we come to talk to God about God's business. Now you say, but what if I want to pray about my children? That's God's business. God has a stake in your children that in a sense is far greater than your stake. You say, I want to pray about my ministry. That's God's business. And just as I go to Rod Sargent to discuss with him the financial affairs of the Navigators, he is the executive vice president and the one to whom I report or I'm also the, the uh, corporate secretary responsible for all legal affairs, and so I may go to Rod and discuss with him a particular legal problem that we have. Why? Because it's his problem too. And you, involved in God's business, and the business of making disciples, you go to God and discuss with him his business, that particular aspect of His business that you are involved in. Because you see, we have a twofold relationship to God. We have, first of all, a love relationship. And this answers to this first purpose of a quiet time to know Him. Because we love Him, we want to get to know Him. And as we get to know Him, we come to love Him more. And so we have, first of all, this love relationship. The second that we have is a lordship relation. We are under his authority, doing his business. And both of these we need to cover in our quiet time. Now I want to give you a few suggestions on how to have a quiet time. For many of you, this will be a review. Perhaps for some, it will be some new thoughts. But first of all, we need a regular, fixed time in the schedule of our life. We are simply too busy to just fit it in. Say, well, when I get a break, I'm going to sit down and have some fellowship with the Lord. Well, the break never comes. And so we need to give priority we need to fix a time in the schedule of our life when we have fellowship with God. Now, this is not to say that we're not to fellowship with God the rest of the day. But we need this particular time. Rod Sargent and I have a fixed time once a week when we get, down, get together and we discuss at length various things. But we also have frequent contact during the week as things come up. But it is that regular, fixed time that really forms the basis of our relationship that enables us to to do business the rest of the week just like this because we understand each other. We know how the other one thinks because we have taken time to spend time with each other. And so it is In a quiet time, it forms the basis, the foundation. When we get to know God, and as we get to know Him, then we find that we can have frequent interchanges with God throughout the day. Now, when is this time to occur? I don't want to be dogmatic on this, but I do want to be strong. And I strongly suggest that it be the first time of the day. Unless there's some compelling reason why this doesn't work out for you, I urge you to seriously consider this first time of the day before breakfast. In Psalm 5.3, David says, O Lord, in the morning thou dost hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for thee and watch. It's pretty evident that David had this fixed time of the day first thing in the morning when he got up and he had time with God. It's said of Jesus in Mark 1:35 that rising up early in the morning, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. And I believe it was said of Martin Luther, or it was quoted of Martin Luther, that he said, when I have so much to do, I have to spend four hours a day in prayer with God. Or just Martin Luther knew what his priorities were. He knew the first place to begin in doing God's business was to do business with God. To get God's signals, to get God's thoughts on the matter. Last Saturday, I had a rather significant decision to make, and uh, I woke up about five o'clock, realizing that, you know, today was the day of truth. It was the day when this decision had to be made one way or the other. And I went down into the family room and sat down and opened the Bible, and I the lord directed my thinking and when we had finished the lord had given me a very clear sense of direction but suppose you know that i had my quiet time at 9 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or after the evening news or something like that you know then i've i've gone through the day without first getting my heart my mind prepared with the Lord this morning as I went down for my quiet time uh, the message that I felt led to give this morning was already here in my notes and so I opened the Bible to a passage where I'm reading right now but as I as I read, a couple of three chapters in First Corinthians, just time and again, God spoke to me about the session with you this morning. You see, God was giving a sense of direction. And so I urge you to seek for that quiet time first thing in the day. But if for some reason your schedule just simply does not lend itself to that, let me encourage you to find a fixed, regular time when you can have it. The second thing, you need a place free from distraction. A place free from distraction. When I was in the Navy, it always used to be a challenge to sailors in the Navy aboard ship where you have about 300 men on a ship that's 300 feet long and about 30 feet wide to find a place that's quiet and free from distraction. And, uh, you know, guys would crawl down in gun tubs. They would go down in a little generator room. and You know, they could stand the noise of the generator as long as there were no other people to distract them. And if... Fellas in the Navy can find this place, then surely you and I can find such a place around our home that's free from distraction, where we can concentrate, where we can be alone with the Lord. Remember in Mark 135, it says that Jesus went out into a solitary place, and there he prayed. By the way, when the weather's nice, it's not a bad idea to go for a walk. In the early morning hours, you won't find anybody else up at that time except the milkman. And uh, it's really a great way to have a quiet time. And then the next thing you need is a flexible plan. A flexible plan. You first of all need a plan so that you don't waste time getting started. You don't come to your quiet time and you say, well, let's see. Now, where in the Bible can I read today? And you just kind of open, you know, and put your finger. Rather, have a plan so that you come and you say, well, yesterday I stopped at 1 Corinthians 3, so this morning I'm going to open to 1 Corinthians 4. But notice I set a flexible plan. Someday, God might lead you to jump over to 1 Corinthians 10 that morning. And if you feel strongly led to... Read in First Corinthians 10, don't say, well, Lord, I'd sure like to do that, but you know my schedule calls for chapter 4 this morning. <laughs> the purpose is not to get through your Bible reading and check off a few things on your Bible reading chart. The purpose is to meet with God as friend to friend. And then, you need a clean heart. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you so that He does not hear. Your sins have hid His face from you so that He does not hear. If we expect to come and have fellowship with God we must come and have a clean heart. Now sometimes, at the time you come, your heart's not clean, and in that case, the first thing to do is to get it clean. And so I start off my time by asking God, if there's something in my heart that's troubling Him, if there's some sin that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be confessed, And then, I pray that God will give me insight into His Word, into His ways. The prayer of Moses, that I may know Thee. Lord, this is why I am here. That I may know Thee and find favor in Thy sight. And also, Lord, consider Your business. Consider that this nation is thy people, as Moses said. But whatever it is you want God to consider, you bring that to his attention. And so quiet time is a time of meeting between God and man. When God speaks to man, as a man speaks to his friend face to face. The purpose of a quiet time is that we might know him and that we might accomplish His business, the work that He's given us to do. This week is one of the greatest opportunities that you will have this whole year to either start a quiet time or to rejuvenate your quiet time if it's sort of fallen into ill repair. Your breakfast is not till what, 7.45 or 8 o'clock? So you don't have to get up at these unearthly hours. You can, you can get plenty of sleep and you can still get up and get out there on the side of the hill or under one of these trees and have a wonderful quiet time with God. May God help us to do that this week. Let's pray. Our Father, we remember that You've said in Your Word, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? For all these things have mine hand made, and all these things have been. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And Father, when we stop and consider the fact that we have the privilege of coming into your presence, the very God who walked with Adam in the cool of the garden, the very God to whom Abraham built the altar, And the one who spoke to him and said, Withhold the knife from thy son. And we come right down through the pages of the Bible, through the history of your dealing with people, and we see all of these marvelous stories, these marvelous accounts of your personal interaction in the lives of your people. And then we come down to ourselves today and realize that we, have the privilege of entering into the presence of the same God. Lord, we're overwhelmed. We confess that we're unworthy. We pray, our Father, that as we look into thy face, that we might have, in fact, a poor and a contrite spirit, so that you would be pleased to dwell with us. We thank you this morning for the grace that you've given to us through Jesus Christ for the privilege of being your children through him and because of him to enter into thy very presence. Now, Lord, this week we pray that you would help each one of us here in this room to experience thy presence in a quiet time day after day, that we might come to know you better. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.